Hello and welcome to Gloucester Vineyard Church's weekly podcast. We're creating a community that brings hope and joy to Gloucester, and we're thrilled that you've downloaded this message. As a community, we're currently reading through the book of Matthew together, and this week it's Nick's turn to lead us through chapters 6 and 7. Nick unpacks what it means to think of God as our Father and how that can make relating to God easier in some ways and harder in others. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can catch up on the other messages in this series, including recordings of the speakers reading the next chunk of scripture to you each week. So without further ado, here we go. Hi, my name is Nick and as a member of Gloucester Vineyard Church, I'm really excited to be able to speak to you today. Um, We've been going through a journey of Jesus' teachings and life by going through a book in the Bible called the Gospel of Matthew, which was written by, I'm sure you could guess, a guy called Matthew, who was actually one of Jesus' followers. Last week, we were in chapter 5, where Jesus shared a powerful message known as the Sermon on the Mount, during which he speaks about a new way of living. As Emily highlighted last week, Jesus introduces this big idea that access to the kingdom of heaven requires a different way of living. As an example, Jesus spoke of the poor, the humble, and seekers of justice and peace as being those who will see this kingdom of heaven. He highlighted where the kingdom of heaven is set aside for those who go against the grain of what is typical within societies. Jesus also pointed out where accessing the kingdom of heaven required more than simply ticking off a list of good behaviours and rituals, which would have been common for many of the religious leaders and keepers of the law at that time. In contrast, Jesus drew attention to the significance of the heart challenging us to pay attention to the motivations which drive our behaviour. Chapters 6 and 7 see Jesus continue with this theme of motivation or the heart of the matter, as Emily described it. By pointing to three traditional religious acts, giving to the poor, praying and fasting, Jesus again highlights where the act is far less significant than the motivation behind it. He does this by giving a series of warnings and compelling comparisons. When speaking of giving to those in need, Jesus warns against doing it to draw attention to ourselves or to gain the respect of others. Instead, Jesus says, give your gifts in private. Speaking of those who pray with lots of words in an effort to impress others or persuade God somehow into submission, Jesus said it's better to go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray in private. In each of these examples, Jesus stated that the admiration of others is all the reward these individuals will ever get. In other words, Jesus made it clear that that God isn't really impressed by exhibitionism or outward appearances. In fact, he's, he's more concerned with the heart. So here we are. We have this declaration of the arrival of the kingdom of heaven in the opening chapters in Matthew, unpacked by Daniel a couple of weeks ago, followed by Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, where he outlines the characteristics of those who will inherit 
this new kingdom. As standalones, each of these are profound, yet there's more. Because before we get to chapter 6, Jesus also points out that those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven can relate to God as Father. The word Jesus used for Father was the commonly used Aramaic term Abba. This was significant because all those listening would have immediately known it characterised a closeness of intimacy and trust shared between a father and their child. In fact, the word father or Abba in the Aramaic Jesus spoke was the same word Jesus used when praying to God in the Garden of Gethsemane before being arrested and later killed. Jesus' use of the word father when describing God was important because in chapter 6 when he taught us how to pray he said we should open with our father in heaven by instructing us to start our prayers by addressing God as our father in heaven Jesus is showing us that we can approach the all-powerful all-knowing creator of all things the God of heaven as a child would approach their dad Jesus was showing that we're not to see God as some distant, law-giving, archaic figure who is insensitive to the challenges we face in life, but as one who is approachable, concerned for our good and loving. Or as one author puts it, Jesus is teaching his followers that we come to God with the simple trust and confidence with which a child comes to a father whom he knows and loves and trusts. So my question to you is, what comes to mind when you think of the word father? I'm pretty sure that if I was to take a poll of just a handful of people, the answers to this question would no doubt vary. Some would give glowing accounts of their fathers. They'd probably speak of having wonderful memories and and would position their fathers as hero figures deserving of, you know, tear-filled tributes. Others, on the other hand, would would likely have a different story to tell. For their own reasons, memories of their fathers might be much harder to share. Either way, what's clear is that fathers have a significant impact on our lives. And as a result, we typically grow up with a, a, a desire to either be like them or to be nothing like them. I was asked to, to speak about God as father. And when thinking about God as Father, my mind naturally turned to two things. My relationship as a son to my own father. And secondly, my relationship as a father to our four children. But what I realised almost immediately is that though it's natural for me to make these connections, comparing like for like can be both helpful and unhelpful. And, And let me just explain what I mean by that. See... I have a subjective understanding of what characterises a father-child relationship and this is because it's based on my experiences with my dad and my relationship with our four children and at a push, any other examples of father-child relationships that I've happened to observe over the years. So whether my understanding is shaped by what I'd consider as either healthy or unhealthy relationships, it's still subjective. And this makes it unhelpful as it means I'll always have a limited perspective on what a father-child relationship could look like with God the Father. 
On the other hand, comparing like for like can also have its benefits. Because when I start to understand the nature of God, my view of who he is, the way I relate to him, the way I view myself and how I live all start to change. The point is our perspectives will always be subjective and our understanding limited, especially when it comes to things relating to God. And because of our limited understanding, because it's shaped by our experiences, we tend to project those experiences onto others. So let me just give you an example. So as a teenager, probably like most teenagers, I fell in love. Yes, I did. And before you fail to take me seriously, just as others, including my parents, did at the time, I knew it was love because I couldn't stop thinking about her. I lost my appetite. I stopped spending time with my friends and all of my hobbies went out of the window. I know it was love. Well, at least that's what I believed at the time. Because even after investing and giving so much of my energy into this whirlwind experience, she broke my heart. I was distraught, besides myself, and I had no clue of what to do with the rest of my life or how I would possibly live without her. I know, sad, right? However, what's important to note isn't my adolescent naivety, but the impact the experience had on my view of other girls other relationships. You see, where I was hurt, I carried that pain and mistrust into future relationships with an expectation that others would do the same. And this led to unhelpful behaviours which actually made my relationships less likely to succeed. Admittedly, though not quite as dramatic, in the same way, if our earthly experience of being fathered is one of absence, one of abandonment, one of mistreatment, fear, rejection, or even loss, it's inevitable that our view of God as Father will be affected in an unhealthy way. Why? Because our perspective of God as Father will be a reflection of our earthly experiences and the wounds that come with them. Put differently, just as we're prone to carry our wound-influenced beliefs into future earthly relationships, we're prone to do the same in our relationship with God the Father. And understandably, this can become a barrier for many of us. For example, if your experience of your father was one of absenteeism, um, you might find it hard to grasp that, that God is always present. You know, The psalmist tells us that, that God is a refuge and a strength and is always ready to help us in times of trouble. If your experience of your father is one where you were abandoned or you felt abandoned, you may struggle to grasp that, that God invites you to be his child. We read later in, in the Bible that God adopted us into his own family through Jesus Christ. If your experience of your relationship with your father was one where you were mistreated, you could really struggle to grasp God's compassion. You know, again, the psalmist tells us that God is a God of compassion and mercy. He's slow to get angry and he's filled with unfailing love. And finally, if you experienced rejection or shame in your relationship with your father, you might actually find it hard to come to terms with the fact that God is actually approachable and that we're invited to come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. See, our tendency to measure our relationship with God as father based on a reflection of our earthly experiences of fatherhood is actually understandable. 
In fact, just as we may enter any relationship with fears and doubts based on our previous experiences, the same is true for how we might relate to God. But it's important we're aware of this because it could have more impact on our lives than we realise if we're not careful. It's important because if we fail to appreciate the amazing truth, the amazing truth about who God is and what it means to be able to approach him as Abba, Father, like Jesus instructs us to, we'll miss out on the hope, joy and life that comes with understanding what it means to be his children. See, I'd go as far as to suggest that if at any point we find it a struggle to approach God, it's likely due to our lack of understanding. Because in knowing his perfect nature, his love, his compassion, his patience and kindness, other than the questionable condition and motivations of our own hearts, there's actually no reason for us to hesitate to acknowledge our need for God's help in our moments of need or give thanks in moments of victory. With this, it's worth taking note of how one of the authors of the Bible, a man named Paul, prayed for all those who follow or apprentice under Jesus. In a book called Ephesians, um, which is in the second half of the Bible, Paul prayed that God would give us spiritual wisdom and insight so that we could grow in our knowledge of who God is. A little later on, he also prayed that our hearts would be flooded with light so, we could, so that we would understand the confident hope that God has given to those who are his children. Paul prayed like this because he knew that without a healthy understanding of God as Father, our hearts would lack hope. You see, Jesus knows that as children of God, we'll experience hardship, challenge and even suffering in this world. Just because we're children of God doesn't mean we're free from the difficulties of life. In fact, the Bible teaches it's part of our apprenticeship under Jesus, designed to build perseverance, character and hope. Take the lockdowns, for example. We, along with millions across the globe, have needed to learn to adapt and navigate these uncertain and anxiety-inducing times. So it's because of this certainty of facing difficulties that Jesus teaches that as children of God, we needn't pray with lots of words because God already knows our needs. And we needn't worry about our, our needs because God promises to provide. And to emphasise God's willingness to provide for us, Jesus draws attention to the fact that even earthly parents with all our shortcomings will in most cases make efforts to provide for our children. And with highlighting this, he asks the question, if we, with all our flaws, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God be able to provide for us? Jesus really wants us to grasp the nature of God as Father and also points out that as God's children, we're to be different. In fact, Jesus said that being concerned about what we'll eat, drink or wear is typical of those who do not know or trust God. Instead, Jesus teaches that our focus should be on pursuing the kingdom of God and living an exemplary lifestyle that makes God look remarkable. The Bible teaches that those who put their faith in Jesus have the right to be called the children of God. So regardless of how we might feel or what anyone else will tell us, this is a matter of legal standing. In the Bible, what we read is that God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. Ephesians 1 
verse 5. To me, this description of God, along with countless others in the Bible, doesn't sound like the kind of earthly father that abandons, rejects or mistreats his child. When we pay attention to the many characteristics of God to be found in the Bible, it paints a totally different picture. It paints a picture of a God who wants to be close to us. A heavenly father who is set on gaining our attention and winning our affections. It paints a picture of a God who is willing to provide for our private needs and respond to our deepest pains. A God who delights in us, a God who adores us, a God who loves us unconditionally. As children of God, we're to grow in our understanding of who God is so we can experience the fullness of what it means to be in close and intimate relationship with him. To feel confident in approaching him with great anticipation and praying as Jesus instructed, our Father in heaven. As those who will inherit the kingdom, those who have put our trust in Jesus, this is the way he wants us to pray. However, to do so requires a fresh perspective of God, a clear and right understanding of who he is and who he isn't. Knowing this, we each have a responsibility to decide the degree to which our current view of fatherhood will shape our future relationship with God. As the late Dr. Ravi Zacharias put it, no human being can ultimately be a total reflection of God. We either show how far we fall from God or the hints of what God is really like. So as we come to a close, I want to encourage you, when you next think of the word father, to do so through the lens of what the Bible says about God rather than the experiences of your earthly father. To consider it in the light of the invitation that Jesus makes for you to approach the God of heaven as a loving dad. I also want you to ask yourself, what might be getting in the way of you approaching God? Is it some hidden or secret part of your life of which you feel ashamed? Is it fear of rejection? Is it doubt? You know, whatever it is, God already knows. There's nothing beyond his knowledge, understanding or his willingness and ability to forgive. Right now, God is, an ex is extending an invitation with open arms. An invitation for you to once again receive his love, to know his forgiveness and to live a full and meaningful life as a child of God. I also believe there's an invitation for healing. Maybe there's some pain or wounds in connection to your relationship with your earthly father. Words which were spoken that remain heavy on your heart and which still affect you to this day. Mistreatment that causes you to feel angry, bitter and resentful and question your worth and your value. I believe God the Father wants to offer you healing by his Holy Spirit, to restore you, build you up, and to help you see yourself as he sees you, a dearly loved child. But before praying, I want to extend an invitation to those who are not yet children of God. You see, though many will claim we're all children of God, the reality is quite different because the Bible teaches that only those who put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins are born again and adopted into God's family can inherit the kingdom of heaven. So if you feel that any of this applies to you or you want to accept God's invitation and receive his promise for the first time, 
I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer before we go into a time of worship. All you need to do is close your eyes, pay attention, and if you agree with what I pray, say amen when I'm finished at the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are unlike anyone else we have ever known or ever will know. You are perfect and patient and compassionate beyond what we could ever fully understand. Thank you for your invitation to be in a close father-child relationship with you and for making it possible through Jesus for us to be spiritually born again and adopted into your family. Right now, we ask that you forgive us for all the things we've thought, said or done that go against your will for our lives. We set an intention to turn from these things and live how you want us to live against the grain as children of your kingdom. We welcome you into our lives afresh and ask you to help us each day to know and love you more. Please, please bring healing into our lives. Where there is hurt and pain from life experiences, through the power of your word and Holy Spirit, heal our hearts and minds so we can experience the life that you want for us. A life full of hope, joy and peace. Help us in these coming days, weeks, months and years ahead to know your closeness and to live in the good of your amazing love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, that's it for this week. I hope that blessed you and you found that helpful. If you've enjoyed this message, please share it with your friends. And if you'd like to join in what we're doing here in Gloucester, you can join us at one of our Sunday gatherings online. All the details you need are on our website, gloucestervineyard.org.